0: Today, we start on this topic of final judgment. And the Bible does talk about uh, the doctrine of final judgment. Um, I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Remember we talked about the millennium in the beginning of Revelation 20. Now this is the next section in Revelation 20, starting with verse 11. I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Now, in the Bible, books are where God records the events that take place on the earth, where he records the events of our lives. And so books were opened means that God is going to inspect the history of what has happened in people's lives. And, so, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Now that's going to be the unbelieving dead uh, who are judged according to what they had done. But there's also going to be an evaluation of what we have done. And so the books are, are relevant in that way too. The dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, it was thrown into the lake of fire. So we have here the book of life which is the book of those who have been saved. by trust in Jesus Christ. And whether you enter into heaven or not is not determined on what you've done. It's determined on whether your name is in the book of life. But then there is an evaluation according to what each one, uh, according to what they had done. And just in the last hour, Joe Stoll is preaching and encouraging us in a very strong way about the goodness of the Word of God and delighting in it. He had this little... Quotation you read in which he said, Every little action in the common day makes or breaks a man's character. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. yeah from Oscar Wilde, not a great source of uh, <laughs> godly wisdom, but uh, he had <laughs> figured out some truth by common grace, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, right away, right off the bat, when we get to speak about final judgment, there's something very profound here that's saying that what we do matters that how we live our life matters, what we do day by day matters, and the sacrifices and the um, effort that we put forth to care for others and to do what is right and, and to care for a neighbor, care for a family member, care for a friend, that those little things do matter, and God remembers, and he has them written in his book. So there's going to be a final judgment. Acts 17, <clears throat> Paul was in Athens in Greece, and uh, uh, well, modern-day Greece, and uh, he, uh, he was speaking to unbelieving Gentiles who didn't have God's word, but he proclaimed final judgment to them. He said, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, that would be Jesus, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And so God has fixed a day, not known to us, but known to him, on which he will judge the world. And Romans two five, uh, Paul says to unbelievers who are straying from God, uh, because of your hardened, impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So there's a fact of final judgment. The final judgment is really um the culmination of many precursors in which god rewarded righteousness or punished unrighteousness throughout history and we see that in the bible we see many stories of blessing and deliverance from danger to those who were faithful to god noah abraham Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, and many others in the Bible. And on the other hand, we see judgments that come on people who rebelled against God consistently and persistently. And then God's judgment was poured out on them, whether in the flood in Genesis 6 to 9, or the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, or Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19, or Israel sent into exile at at the end of the historical books in the Old Testament. Um, Many instances of judgment. And God has set up the world in general to work in this way so that people who live a life of corruption and crime and dishonesty, they find that their lives are more and more progressively destroyed. Or, you know, you get these little common sense folk sayings like, honesty is the best policy. It does work out. Well, to be honest, is what that's saying. Or, or what goes around comes around. And that's not in the Bible, but it's just saying you know, how you act is going to come back to you. There, there's some little observations of life, and there are probably hundreds of those little sayings, where people note that um, uh, how you act does have, in general, uh, consequences in what happened and and uh, and someone can think hey i'm getting away with stealing or embezzling from my company year after year and pow all of a sudden you get found out Uh, or some of these scandals like uh, what is this uh, bernie madoff and he was running this ponzi scheme for years but he was found out and god has set up the world in such a way that not always But in general, evil deeds do eventually have consequences in this world, negative consequences for those who do them. And living uh, lives that are more moral and upright uh, do uh, result in better consequences in this life. Now, those are just small ways in which God has set up the world to warn of final judgment to come so whether it's in the Bible or whether it's you observe those things going on in people's lives year by year, um, all those should make us think, wow, there's a final, ultimate judgment coming. Now, there are two ways we can respond to that. One is we can say, oh, I wish God wouldn't be so harsh and judge people and all this. The other way, I think the better way, and that's what I'm trying to talk about today, is we can say, thank you, God, that you are fair. You are just, that what people do does matter, and that you are keeping account of what people do for rewards for believers and for degrees of punishment, ultimately, for unbelievers. <clears throat> and so, Second uh, Peter 2, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials, even in this life, and to keep the unrighteous under punishment, oftentimes even in this life, until the day of judgment. Now, when we get to the question of final judgment, there is a difference of opinion in the Christian world, as there has been on so much of this material that has to do with the future. And the difference of opinion has to do with whether there'll be more than one judgment talked about in these different passages of the Bible. <clears throat> Dispensational interpreters, who tend to be hold to a pre-tribulation, pre-millennial position, Dispensational interpreters talk about different judgments. First, a judgment of the nations, which is to determine who enters the millennium. When Christ comes, in dispensational view, there's a tribulation. Then Christ comes back to earth, and during that thousand years, he reigns on earth. But before that, there's a a judgment of the nations in Matthew 25, 31 to 46, And that isn't the final judgment. It'll be after the millennium and after the rebellion of Satan at that time. And, uh, and here's what it says. Um, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And so that's, in a dispensational view, <clears throat> that's one judgment. And then a judgment of believers, or the bema, which is a Greek word for judgment seat. Bema judgment, in 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, or appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And that's written to believers, that each one may receive what he has what done in the body. And then, um, that's for degrees of reward for Christians. And then... Uh, See a great white throne judgment at the end of the millennium, uh, Revelation 20, uh, 11 to 15, to declare eternal punishments for unbelievers. That's one viewpoint. Personally, I hold a different viewpoint. I think these different passages all speak of the same judgment. And it's not at the beginning of the millennium. It's after the millennium and after Satan is released and he gathers the nations for battle and they're defeated at the Battle of Armageddon then, then, then the Son of Man comes in his glory, all his angels with him. He will sit on his glorious throne, and before him uh, all peoples and languages and nations and tongues will be gathered for this judgment that we also see in Revelation 20, in the passage that I just read a few minutes ago right here. Um, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. So um, I, I don't suppose it makes a lot of difference here. Uh, in that, um, yes, I'm happy to talk about a Bema Seat judgment or a judgment of believers for rewards and and punishments. I just think it'll happen at the same time as the judgment of unbelievers or in the same sequence or series of events all at once. Matthew 25, although a dispensationalist would say this is before the millennium and just has to do with going into the millennial period or not, it seems to me that there isn't any mention of a millennial kingdom there, and it, there are references that look like eternal punishment or eternal life. Matthew 25, 34, enter, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That sounds like eternal life. Matthew 25, 41, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And Matthew 25, that was 41, and then 46. Uh, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So I don't think it's just entering into the millennium, but, but some people do. Okay. <clears throat> um, I don't think that's a big, big deal. When will this final judgment occur? Well, if you can picture in your minds these timelines that we had, we have the present church age, and then, I think, at the end, a period of great suffering, tribulation. Then Christ suddenly returns... We're caught up to meet him in the air. He comes back to earth with us immediately. And then he sets up this period of a thousand years where he is reigning on earth in perfect righteousness with rule over all civil authority and government. And at the end of that thousand years, Satan is released from the bottomless pit where he'd been held captive. And he comes and deceives the nation's and gathers them for battle, but then Jesus defeats them decisively. And at the end of that time, then we see uh, this judgment after that millennial kingdom and after the rebellion that occurs at the end of it. Here's where it talks about that rebellion, Revelation 20, verses 7 to 11. When the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison. See, so he was in that bottomless pit for a thousand years, and he wasn't influencing the earth. <clears throat> He'll be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth. So apparently the Lord Jesus allowed them to gather this rebellion and didn't decisively uh, stop them. And, and Satan gathered those who wanted to follow him and they marched... Um, they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, which would be Jerusalem. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the, false, where the beast and the false prophet were. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and, on, on, and him who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away And that then follows the passage that we just read. So this looks like this judgment is after the millennium and after the rebellion at the end of the millennium and after this battle, which in Revelation 16, 16 is called the Battle of Armageddon, where where, um, they gather and and, uh, march against Jerusalem. Well, what what will this final judgment be like? Jesus Christ will be the judge... 2 Timothy 4.1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. Acts 10.41, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one, as Jesus. He is the one appointed by God to be a judge of the living and the dead. And uh, John 5.26-27, to 27, as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself, and he, that's the Father, Has given him the Son. So the Father has given the Son authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of man. So Jesus Christ will be the judge. Unbelievers will be judged. Um, Paul says, You are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Um, And I think this judgment of unbelievers, because God is fair, I think it will include degrees of punishment for unbelievers. There is this parable that Jesus uses in Luke 12 where he talks about the final judgment. And in that parable, he says um, about the uh, servants who had various degrees of uh, punishment from their master. The servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. So I think that's an indication that there will be fairness. And uh, someone like Adolf Hitler or Stalin, who have just just been incredibly evil, murdering millions of people, will have uh, far more to answer for. And far more uh, severe punishment. Where are they now? Where are they? I think they're separated from God's presence. uh, In Hell, their spirits in Hell, but they haven't yet uh, experienced this final judgment. I think that where it says there's a first resurrection, a second resurrection in Revelation 20, Pammy, that those just as when Jesus comes back, we will our Our bodies will be raised from the dead and united with our spirits and we will live together, uh, body and spirit together, uh, but made whole in perfect bodies. So I think unbelievers' bodies will be raised uh, and reunited with their spirits so they in bodily form will also face judgment, I think. So unbelievers will be judged and then believers will be judged. Um, there are a lot of verses on rewards for believers. I haven't got, gotten into too many of them here, but um, Romans 14:10 and 12. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or you? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Now, Paul's in Romans 14 he's talking to Christians who are kind of being judgmental toward each other about different matters of opinion. And uh, he said, well, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, and then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Uh, That should be a great encouragement to us that every unseen good thing that you as a believer have done in this life, that God's going to repay that. He will, he, will, he will say, well done. And he will reward you according to the sacrifice you have made, according to the uh, good that you have done, and the attitude of heart that you've had with, uh, with which you've done the things that you have done. The judgment of believers will be a judgment to evaluate and bestow various degrees of reward. But when we talk about final judgment, I want to be very clear that believers should never, never, never fear eternal condemnation. John 5:24. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Um, So we don't come into judgment in that sense. And Romans 8 1, great verse to memorize. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we don't fear the condemnation of hell, we don't fear having to pay the penalty for our sins. But I think there should be a healthy kind of fear that there will be loss of reward and, I suspect, some sense of regret for where we've done wrong in this life as Christians. And, uh, and, um, and God will say, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't really how I expected you to speak. That wasn't really how I expected you to live. Um, and so there will be some, there will be a fairness uh, that doesn't result in, in punishment or condemnation. Thus, the day of judgment can be portrayed as one in which believers are rewarded and unbelievers are punished. And Revelation 11:18 18 um, kind of puts those together. The nations raged but, but your wrath came and the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and the saints, so the dead to be judged, and rewarding your servants, uh, the prophets and saints and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Now here's a question. Will the secret words and deeds and sins of believers be revealed on the last day? (laughs) Who's saying, oh, is <laughs> <Tammy's> saying, oh, <laughs> she's voting. Yeah. Um, uh, and there are some verses that might make you think that, you know, Colossians 3.25, the wrong doer will be paid back for the wrong, he has done, there's no partiality. And actually, it was an interesting thing. When I first published Systematic Theology, I had written in there, yeah, I think the secret sins and uh, words and deeds of, of believers will even be revealed, but they'll be revealed as forgiven sins. But what happened was, this happens when you teach term after term, students, they just couldn't, wait a minute, I, this doesn't seem right to me. And they would bring up these verses about, doesn't it say, as far as the East is from the West, so far has he removed our transgressions from us, and he's cast our sins into the depths of the sea. And, you know, I had to say, I didn't, I, I, I didn't really fully take account of those verses. So then I had to send in a little change to the publisher and change that paragraph or two in the next printing. Well, then the funny thing happened. I, uh, I came here to Scottsdale Bible Church and started teaching this class just about seven years ago. And um George Ann Cain got a copy of my Systematic Theology. She read through the whole thing. <clears throat> I don't know if you know, Georgianne had been a teaching leader in Bible study fellowship, which meant she really knows her Bible. And uh, she came up to me and she said, I liked everything in that book except that section on our secret sins being uh, exposed and made known at the final judgment. It doesn't seem right to me. And I said, Georgianne, you've got an old printing of the book. I changed that. <laughs> so the one thing that I changed, she had figured out. Wow. That was a, a good, good deal. Good job, Georgianne. So, um, so 1 Corinthians 4, 5, for instance, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. That's what I would kind of focused on. But then the next sentence says, then each one will receive his commendation from God. And I looked at the Greek word behind commendation, and it's epinos, the Greek word, which means praise. And so I think the focus is on approval and commendation. and well done and, and blessing more than on uh, calling to mind all the little sins that we've done that we just didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Tammy's quite happy about that. And there are many other verses that suggest that God isn't going to bring these up again. Um, Micah 7:19. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Doesn't that mean they're gone? And Psalm 103.12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgression from us. How far? You just I mean, how far is east from west? Just forever. And, uh, and uh, Hebrews 8.12, I will be merciful toward those, their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. That doesn't mean that God can't remember them, because he's omniscient. He knows everything. But it means he won't call them to mind. He won't bring them up again. He won't keep on saying, hey, remember what you did back in... 1982 or
1: whatever. Pammy? The word will be forever, isn't the God, it? The word correct? of God. The word forever. of God. Okay, well, doggone it. Poor David. Yep. His sins are all there. Yep. And poor Peter. Bless yep. his heart. So that's why I thought all of mine would probably be yeah. around, too. Yeah. So what, what do you say? What say, Professor?
0: Yeah. I... <laughs> yeah. Well... Um <clears throat> it's true. <clears throat> those sins of believers are there in the Bible. Peter denying Christ, but then he's forgiven. And David's forgiven. So the record of their forgiveness is there too. And yeah, And so, I mean, even if God did bring up those things, they would be forgiven and they'd be in the light of one who loves us. But the reason I lean this other direction, Pammy, I might not be right, but... Is just these verses about east, from, far as east from the west, cast them in the depths of the sea. I'll remember them no more. Those are the focus.
1: I imagine those people would be um, would have the mindset of Christ and would be more than willing to have their their sins exposed um, no. so that their Lord no. and God can receive all the glory yeah. for yeah. their for yeah. His forgiveness. Yep. So I'm sure that they don't they're they're fine with it. And they, you know, they really, they should be because they their sins represent all of our sins yep. that we've committed yep. to, so... yeah, Good, good. Okay.
0: I'm not 100% sure either way on this, but uh, but I, that seemed to be a better solution to me. Shouldn't cause us to fear. Should cause us to be careful how we act. Um... God's purpose is not going to be to humiliate us publicly or shame us. His purpose is going to be to reward and give blessing. Jack, got another? We better get the microphone back. Boy, Ron, you're getting exercised today.
1: You didn't talk about First Corinthians um, three. Uh, you alluded to it, I think, but on yep. the rewards. But so, how would He expose the? Um, how would that look? If, uh, expose uh, it to fire if it isn't exposed. The
0: fire it, will test
1: each one's work. Yeah, and that the work, adds, which one, if, that example, kind of adds to your
0: first um, yeah. thought is that, yeah. it, that they would be exposed. Works being burned up. Maybe to some measure, Jack. Maybe to some measure. But I don't think it's going to be to just... What What I want to get away from is saying... Oh, Jack, look at this awful thing you did. And I'll grieve about that for a few weeks. And now here's another thing. I mean, that's just not heaven. It's not going to be that. Um, it might be, hey, here's a whole pile of these works that were useless and they're burned up and, okay, they're gone. But I just... <laughs> I can see you could go both ways.
2: I like the graces.
0: Yeah, yeah. But I will remember their sins no more. Not going to bring them up. Not going to call them to account in dealing with us. That's pretty strong. If the works that anyone, if you've built on the foundation, First Corinthians three, with wood and hay and straw, it'll it'll be consumed. People did you know for their own glory built some ministry or. Or just did it in the strength of the flesh and there wasn't any value in it, and you know, it'll be consumed. But I think it'll be just a, a flash and it'll be gone. So, like a pizza. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Um, and scripture does teach there will be. Oh, did we have more over here? More? Yep.
1: Okay, Gene. Uh, uh, your second or your revision seems to me to uh, form uh, a strong foundation for anti-purgatory argument. Oh, whereas the first verses or first interpretation might support it, so I, I'll vote for the second. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and the and the Roman Catholic Church and our Roman Catholic friends do get their doctrine of purgatory mainly from First Maccabees in the apocryphal books, which we don't accept as scripture, and so. Um, but purgatory being a place where believers would go to have their sins further purged away after they die before they're worthy to enter heaven and we talked about that a number of weeks ago where i think the new testament says when we die we go right into the lord's presence in heaven and and receive blessing so okay anything else you don't talk about this anymore margaret told me a couple weeks ago somebody had a hand up back here for for quite a long time and i never saw it so i'm gonna be sure to look at the middle section okay oh one right here what, wait, what, just hold on a second. What's your name?
1: Uh, Jan. Jan. Jan um, hold up close. There was supposed to be, um, I had taught that there's crowns. We're going to be giving yeah. crowns. Yeah. So God is going to judge then, right? And, and I we'll think there will be degrees of different reward. Different yeah. different crowns?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So surely for the right things that we have done, there will be reward. In fact, I'm going to just go on to the next Slide here. Scripture also teaches there will be degrees of reward for believers. Oh, here we go, Jack. Right here. Um, 1 Corinthians 3, 12 to 15. If anyone builds on the foundation... See, Paul said, I laid the foundation. Now you Corinthians, you're all building on the foundation that I've laid. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, <clears throat> wood, hay, straw... Each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it'll be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So that looks like there's a testing of have you done the Lord's work? Have you done what he asked you to do and have you done it in a way that's honoring to him, that it's built on prayer and trusting him and being faithful and being honest and and um, just uh, following his His teachings. Um, Jan, I forgot the question. Oh, degree you agree? Crowns. Uh, I, I don't have the verses here, but I think maybe next week when I get to the section on heaven, maybe I'll have more about that. I'm, I'm not sure if it's there or not, but I think those are other verses that would... Contribute to the idea of reward. Um, of reward, and the Bible isn't very clear on what those rewards will be. Uh, they might be, you know, different areas of responsibility. You'll have authority over five cities. You'll have authority over ten cities. In one of the parables, Jesus gives Joyce.
2: In that verse at the end, where it says the last sentence, if anyone's work is burned up, yeah, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. What does as through fire mean in that particular place?
0: Um, You just made it. But, I mean, I suppose the picture is um, uh, somebody pounds on your door in the middle of the night and says, Fire, fire, and you get out, but all you grab is a bathrobe and slippers and everything else is lost. I mean, you just kind of, it's that picture of, okay, Oh, man, what about all that stuff I left behind? Sorry, it's all burned up. So that's... Joyce, the, the way that passage impacts me is I never want to cut corners or... Well, if I'm doing research and trying to find evidence in support of a certain meaning of a word or meaning of a verse, if I come across evidence that goes the other way, I can't just brush that up and brush that aside, brush it under the rug, pretend I didn't see it. I have to honestly report that and how I write up my findings because I'm accountable before the Lord. Even if it's some obscure thing and and nobody in my class is going to find it, the Lord sees it. And so I can't ever be shoddy in my scholarship. That's that's where it applies to me. Where it applies to people in in, um, in retail Trade, for instance, it means just not selling defective goods that you you paint over with glossy paint and you, you know what I mean. It's it's wait a minute. Okay, you built this business. That, it's okay, says the Lord, you built this business. You gave all this money to the church, but look how you earned it. You cheated people. That's kind of work that'll be burned up. Am I, is that you can think of some other examples? Okay, um, okay, or you raise kids, but man, you. You you didn't give any time to them. They turned out okay by accident. <laughs> I mean, like by my grace, but or or you you know or you weren't or you weren't strict enough with them or or you always oh, were too strict with them or you know you just you didn't follow my word in how you brought them up, <clears throat> and so okay, <clears throat> that's that I'm just trying to think of different areas of life um, where we can get through, but it isn't doing it the Lord's way, and then then that'll be burned up. Okay, yep. Okay. Well, let's see. I think maybe I'll go on to the next slide here. Angels will be judged. Second Peter 2, 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. So there's going to be a judgment of evil angels. Jude 6. The angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling... He is kept in eternal chains until under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day, so there will be judgment of angels. But I think even the good angels will be evaluated according to the work they have done. 1 Corinthians 6, 3, Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? Whoa, what does that mean? I guess it means we're giving kind of a performance evaluation. How, can, how many of you have ever evaluated an employee at work? Lots of you. Okay, you can do it, right? You just have to, I, I went and listened to a student sermon and wrote an evaluation a week ago. And uh, we can do this. I have a pile of term papers sitting on my desk at home. Got to evaluate. So God has given us the ability to do that kind of thing. Um, John, you inspect a building and you judge what kind of work people have done in the construction. Uh, Did they they cut corners? Did they take shortcuts? Did they build it right? Um, So, uh, somehow God's going to give us authority to judge angels uh, as well. We will help in the work of judgment then. 1 Corinthians 6, 2-3. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? And so Christ does not reserve every aspect of the process of judging for himself alone, but apparently delegates it to some others. And so Revelation 20, verse 4, I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. And and Jesus says to his disciples, You who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Amazing! I don't understand much of what this means. That there's going to be some basis on which God will give us sanctified, pure, holy minds that are wise and able to evaluate, perhaps according to the area of knowledge or expertise or experience that we have, able to evaluate angels and perhaps um, others, I don't know, perhaps unbelievers. Why is there final judgment? Why doesn't just, when you die, God takes care of your future and it's all over? Well, the purpose is not so God can find out the condition of our hearts, which he already knows, of course, but rather, and I'm just going to quote here from this older systematic theology book by Louis Burkhoff. Uh, Very good book. Um, Burkhoff was a Christian Reformed uh, theology professor in in, uh, Calvin Seminary in Grand Rapids, Michigan, Um, The final judgment will serve the purpose rather of declaring, displaying before all rational creatures, the declarative glory of God in a formal forensic act, which magnifies on the one hand, his holiness and righteousness, and on the other hand, his grace and mercy. Moreover, it should be borne in mind that the judgment at the last day will differ from the death of each individual in more than one respect. It will not be secret, but public. It will not pertain to the soul only, but also to the body. It will not have reference to a single individual, but to all men or all people, we would say. So it's uh, showing God's justice. And the justice of God will be shown in the final judgment. Every mouth will, may be stopped, and, every, and the whole world may be held accountable to God because his law is proclaimed to everybody, and so people can't say it's not fair because even on people's hearts they have a knowledge of it. And the, <clears throat> the great multitude in heaven cries out at judgment, Revelation 19, 1 to 2, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. Now, I, I think as much as we kind of recoil away from the idea of judgment, we, there's something deep in us that appreciates fairness and justice <clears throat> and wants justice to be done. We want court decisions to, be, to come out rightly and the, and the innocent to be set free and the and the guilty to be convicted. We want referees to rule rightly in sports contests. And when, people, and when the referees don't rule fairly, we say, that's not fair. And, and we don't like that. Um, and so um, at the final judgment, we will say, wow, this is fair. This is just. It is right. And something in us will say, hallelujah, God, thank you for this judgment. Moral application. It satisfies our inward sense of a need for justice in the world then. And uh, Paul says in Colossians 3, to slaves who may have been mistreated, he says slaves obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. And then he says the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. There's no partiality. So he's assuring them there is accountability even for your masters who have mistreated you, God will call that to account. Number two, it enables us to forgive others freely. Romans 12:19, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And First Peter 222 to 23 Jesus himself, at the end of his life, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. What did he do instead? Instead of saying, I'll get back at you. He, he, he said... He continued entrusting himself to, to him who judges justly. He kept saying, Lord, I give that to you. And I think that uh, Peter then says uh, Christ suffered, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. I think when we are mistreated, uh, the, our first response should be, God, I give that into your hands. Will you take care of it, Lord? I commit it to you. And see, if if someone has, has defrauded us, has cheated us, has harmed us physically, perhaps, or just... Uh, really shamed us in a wrongful way, and there doesn't seem to be in this life any recourse. The first step that we have to do in our hearts is say, Lord, um, Sam or Pete or Sally or Jane did wrong to me. And you see it, Lord. I give that into your hands. Lord, I commit that to you, and I know that you will be just. I know that you will be fair. So, we don't have to say, wrong was done and I hope they get away with it forever. Because that just doesn't seem right in our hearts. I think, Wait a minute, it isn't fair. We say, wrong was done, Lord, I give it to you and I know that you will deal with it. And then we can know that ultimately, every wrong deed in the universe will be accounted for. Either we'll see on the last day that Jesus took the punishment on himself, for those who became believers and their sins were therefore forgiven. Or, at the final judgment, the wrongdoers will, be, will pay the penalty and they will be accountable for the wrong they have done. But in either case, God is going to settle all accounts. And it's all going to be made right. And our hearts can be at peace. And that enables us to release into God's hands any sense of, I need to pay back that person for the wrong he has done to me. Does, does, am I making sense? You, you can release it and say, Lord, you're just. I give it over to you. I know it's all, going to be, it's all going to be taken care of. And that gives us, that gives, and God is just. And then the next step, if God will enable you to do this, I think you should, as Jesus did and as Stephen did when he was dying. Lord, will you please forgive that person through Jesus Christ? Will you please bring that person to know you and gain forgiveness of sins? And then we pray that, and then, and then, the, then we know the sins are taken care of. The doctrine of the final judgment provides a motive for righteous living. Many, many verses on this uh, subject. Jesus says, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust, neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. So this, we've been talking about that through the hour here. The doctrine of the final judgment provides a great motive for evangelism. Ezekiel 33, God says, Turn back, turn back. From your evil ways, why will you die, O house of Israel? And 2 Peter 3.9, people say, why hasn't the end of history come? Why hasn't God come and brought everything to end? Well, Peter says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, is patient to you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And so, while judgment hasn't come yet, we know it's coming. It's good that we should take opportunities as we can to invite others to church, to look for opportunities to talk, to them about the gospel. Okay, that's, that's, um, that's ju- judgment in general. Okay, now here I am trying to get through the whole outline. How much do I have left? I've got about eight minutes. Well, I'm going to see if I can just summarize this, and you have the outline, and I'll summarize it quickly, and then I won't maybe read every slide. Um, This brings us, then, to the question of eternal punishment, or the doctrine of hell. Hell is a place of eternal, conscious punishment for the wicked. Luke 16, the parable of this... uh, the poor man and, and, uh, and the rich man was in Hades in torment. Revelation, 9, uh, Revelation 14, 9 to 11, the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever and they have no rest day or night, these worshippers of the beast and its image. It is hard for me to find a way to get around that verse. But to say this is a picture of eternal punishment, um, for those who have rebelled against God, those are evil. Revelation 19:1-3: The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The, the evil city Babylon um, that was judged. Um, Revelation 20:10: uh, The devil was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. In Matthew 25:41, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. To my mind, this is the hardest doctrine to teach on in the entire Bible. Um, it's hard for us to imagine how this could be so, or to think about it just, I think, should cause us uh, to tremble. But uh, the verses are numerous and they are explicit about this um, aspect of punishment going on forever and ever. Revelation 14 and Revelation 19, Revelation 20, Matthew 25. Now, there are some people who have interpreted the Bible and denied the existence of hell or denied that it'll last forever and one common view that denies this is called annihilationism and i want to talk about that just for a minute annihilationism is the view that after the wicked have suffered the penalty of god's wrath for a time god will annihilate them and they won't any longer exist or maybe they won't even suffer at all maybe they just die and don't 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 suffer and the people argue this on the basis of the word for destruction maybe it means they won't exist anymore and i've got some answers to that in your outline. I think those verses, those words don't, don't require that meaning and don't really suggest that meaning. And they say, well, how can this be consistent with the love of God? And, and well, my answer is, how can any punishment then be consistent with the love of God? Um, uh, if we're going to say there's punishment, then whether it is for 10 years or 100 years or 1,000 years, if it's punishment that is just and deserving... How do we reconcile that with God's love? Well, just because we say that there is evil that, that, that must be punished. There's uh, also people say, well, there's not a, there's, it's unjust because people committed sin in time. Why can they, how can they be punished eternally? But, but I, I don't think we know the evil of sin and how evil it is in God's sight. And, and I also think that is very likely that unbelievers in hell will go on blaspheming and cursing God and, and sinning against him um, also forever and never repenting. How can we say that the universe is the right place to be for eternity if uh, if there's hell present in it? Won't that mar the perfection of the universe? And And my response to that is that when God punishes evil, then something else happens. The glory of God's justice and righteousness and the glory of God's power to triumph over all opposition will be seen. And and Paul says, What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And so, after all of that, and I know I've gone through that quickly, I think we have to say that the ultimate resolution of that question lies beyond our ability to understand. It's hidden in the counsels of God. It's a hard and it's a sorrowful doctrine for us because we have in our hearts a portion of God's love for people and people that we know on this earth still have traces of God's goodness in them through common grace. Yet we we have to realize that whatever God in his wisdom has ordained and taught in Scripture is right. And um, we should feel sorrow thinking about this. Paul says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart because of the unbelieving Jews. And God himself says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Um, But I cannot escape these verses in the Bible. And I say, if I'm going to be true to Scripture, I have to say that eternal punishment is not unjust or unfair. It's true and just. Uh, But in this life, we surely should long and pray for unbelievers to come to know Christ and know forgiveness. Um, in the world to come, I think when we are there and we see all things as they truly are, we'll understand more clearly how this is true and right. Um, wow. I, I hurried through that so I could take a few minutes for, for questions. I, I think as I, as I was getting ready for this class and coming this morning, I was thinking... I need to say to you that teaching the doctrine of hell is, to my mind, a measure of whether, whether someone is going to base their teaching on what the Bible says or their own ideas of what it should say. And um, I've been in numerous interview situations where people for in positions of responsibility, especially faculty positions at different universities and, and institutions, and, uh, or different colleges and seminaries, anyway. And um, I will often ask, what do you think about the doctrine of hell? Because it's a test of where people's hearts are and whether they're going to be faithful to God's word. And I think I have a responsibility, if I'm going to be faithful to these verses, even if it's hard for me to teach it, I have a responsibility to say, this doctrine is what the Bible teaches. Um, And I know that God is just. And I know that one day it will all seem just to us. There's one other thing that I thought, and that is, if I think of hell as applying to Satan and his demons are totally evil then it's easier for me to think about and those who ultimately are in hell will have just character that is that there's no goodness left in anymore and it will seem appropriate to us do you want to interact on that at all we just have a
1: few minutes here Jack on the first verse that you used which in, was uh, Luke 16 yeah. um, do you think that um, they will be, a, those in hell will be able to see a cross. I mean, how's I, that? I don't
0: know. It? I mean, that the man does see a cross, I don't know how much that is to be taken as uh, literally true or not, Jack. I've I've wondered that before, and it I'm just not sure. Even,
1: it, to, to me, that would even be more tormented if you would. can actually yep. see the yep. pro, uh, yep. paradise.
0: Yeah, yep. might be. Over here. Oh, I can't see your name tag. What's your name? Dick? Dick? Okay, coming around here with the mic.
1: In the uh, definition of hell, it says that uh, place of eternal conscious punishment for the wicked. Yeah. And the definition of wicked would be, uh, would you say, meaning those who are not part of the body of Christ?
0: Yes. Yeah. But I think the reason for saying uh, wicked is that um, that's the thing that they're judged for is the evil that they have done in their life. And I have to say, there's going to be fairness and degrees of punishment. So um, it'll be fair. E.G. Oh, a question back to part B, the mm-hmm. final judgment. Yep. It said Christ comes down to the earth for a thousand years. Yep. And then Satan is released. Yep. And then
1: he gets this grand army. Yep.
0: Now, where did all those come from? Were there unbelievers yeah. while Christ was ru- yes? Ruling I think the they are unbelievers who had to submit to Christ's righteous judgment or righteous rule over the whole earth, but they didn't like it, and and in their hearts there's just that rebellion, that seething rebellion was growing for a thousand years, um, and uh, so when Satan comes out, he's able to deceive them. Quickly and gather them. Yeah. Okay, last one way over here in the front row.
2: The most common comment I hear is that um, that uh, people say, well, I don't believe in hell yeah. because God is a loving God. So what I want to know is, where does it say in the Bible that God is a loving God or does
0: it? <laughs> well, it does say God is love. Um, and uh, where is that? First John. And so he is a loving God, but if we take only one part of who God is, we get things imbalanced, and he's also just. And so, um, you know, a loving parent can love her kids a whole lot, but also has to be fair when Johnny misbehaves. And so but, there's justice and love both.
2: But how do you balance that? When, when, and I just had it said to me again Friday, and I said, well... You know, I go by the Bible as the word of God, and, yep. and I change the subject.
0: Yeah. But well how, <laughs> You should do your homework and come back, though. <laughs>
2: but I just, I, I really don't know how to answer it, because I know it does say somewhere in the Bible, as you said, that God is a loving God. But yeah. it also talks about him being a jealous God yep. and a just God. And yeah,
0: yeah. So, so probably what do you guess, say to those Yeah, people? well, you want to get some, just one or two other verses that talk about, That God is just and He is fair. That should help. Way, way, way back, we got attributes of God in the systematic theology book, and there's a whole bunch of verses on God's justice. So, chapter twelve or (laughs) thirteen, someplace back there. So we have to get the whole picture. Let's get out on time, and I'll see you in two weeks.